Hi, this is Martin Fowler, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising Podcast. I am your host, Troy Lightfoot, and with me, I have my co-host, Andy Cleff. Hello, Andy. Hey. Hey. And I, we have two special guests with us back again for another episode, uh, Pratik Singh and Dan Vacanti. Hopefully, I'm saying your last name right, Dan. Is it, hopefully, that's correct. All right. Very good. You got to tr- 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 try? How do you, how do you try? Troy, 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 Troy yeah. Troy. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know if it's Vacanti or Vacanti. You know, that's why I'm trying to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, thank you. I, I always, I always tell people, you don't, you don't want to hear what my mom used to call me. So yeah, I, 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 I respond to just about anything. I have a completely different pronunciation for it. So. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, these gentlemen are back again, and I thank them for their time. Uh, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, there's two books that these guys released uh, recently. One, the subject of the last podcast we did, which is Actionable Agile Metrics for Predictability, Volume 2, Advanced Topics. I think I'm saying that correctly. Uh, and Pratik's new book, um, with help with help from Dan. So that it seems like they both helped each other write their books. That's what it seems like. Uh, and that is scaling simplified. So I am excited to talk about that. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna set this up, Pratik and Dan, by saying, now this I'm I'm setting a high bar, by the way. I'm setting a very high bar. So if you don't live up to it in this podcast, we're all in trouble. Well, unlike you, try. But the the bar is this. I read the book, Pratik, um, and obviously there's a class at ProCombon.org, which is roughly the material is similar to what's in the class, but your book is actually a, a brilliant breakdown of a lot of the things in that class in a much deeper dive than you could do in a two-day class typically. Um, but I would say where we're at now in the world, if you want to read a book about scaling, this is the one to read. And we're going to talking about why that is today. All right. So that leads me to my first question, gentlemen. And Andy, feel free to kind of step in, ask any questions you want, um, and, and we can... I've got some go. good ones queued up. I, I have right. to see how high your bar is first, though. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So, gentlemen, why Scaling Simplified and why now? I was, I was about to... When you said that, Troy, yeah. I was like, let's just finish now. I think, I think that's a good place to stop. <laughs> Great recording. Um, yeah. Oh, why why this book and why now? Well, yeah. um, I feel like I've recently given this answer. Uh, we <laughs> of the in the past few years, I've heard scaling more and more, and mm. further than that, I've heard all these weird things that come along with scaling. Uh, these things that seem to make it really complex, like trains and planes and mm. all that fun stuff. Okay. Um. And whenever Dan and I have uh, encountered the problem of scaling, uh, it's been a lot simpler than putting in big, huge structures and uh, three-day mm-hmm. long events and all that stuff. It's been it's been it's been much simpler than that. Uh, and and hence the book. And why now is because pretty much on a weekly basis, I get someone reaching out to me, going, "Hey, we've been doing this." big framework thing for the past year, two years, and uh, it's really not working. We're not able to deliver stuff. Um, is, there, is there something else we can do? And I got, I, 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 I kept giving, giving the same answer over and over again. I was like, might as well write this answer down. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a long answer to save somebody the whole book for sure. <laughs> for sure. How and much Dan, time do you have, right? That was not good. Yeah, good ideas. Uh, and Dan, any any uh, thoughts from your end? Yeah, so I I think this is oh, the very sorry. beginning. You introduced. Oh, Dan, I heard. Yeah, Anne. no, I, I'd rather hear from Andy. Andy, go ahead. Go ahead I'd rather Andy, go, ahead. go 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 go. <laughs> I'm glad you don't have big toes, Dan. Um, <laughs> you you start out the book with a wonderful approach called the negativa approach. Like take everything away that you don't need. Yeah. And and a few of us had a podcast a couple couple cycles back about org debt. Right. So everything that you could take away until there's nothing left to take away came from somewhere. Could have been micro drifts. It could have been all the decisions that should have been made that weren't. All the people that were there that put that in place, you call them the the decision makers, the martyrs, the heroes, are still probably there. Hmm. What do you what do you do with them? How do you how do you move them right um, down the all that stuff you added? It might have seemed like a good idea, but now the solution is to keep taking it away until there's nothing left to take away. Oh, wow, what do you guys say to that? Yeah, this is this is where uh, I'll go. I'll go to another part of the book where we, I think we talk about making everything subservient to flow. Hmm. The thing that we are here for is. Uh, delivering value to customers. That's what we're here for. Can we get everyone oriented? Because all, all the people who have put in whatever they've put in, all the efforts they've put in, uh, have been towards that, have been towards improving the value, or improving the flow of value to customers. That's what we've been trying to do. Uh, can we take a look at our system once again from, from a neutral perspective on are we flowing value to customers in the way we expect to? And if we are not, what getting in our way of doing it? What's mm. getting in our way of flowing value to customers? And more often than not, I would say almost 90% of the time, it is about removing what's getting in our way uh, of doing it, then adding something new to, to accelerate that flow. It's, it's more often than not, it's, um, it's via negativa, as Danny said, ah. rather than adding something new. Any Dan, any thoughts about this topic? Um, no, I'll hold off. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. But the first time I ever did. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Uh, all right, I have another question then. Um, so, what are some of the common problems with, sca with scaling? And maybe you can talk a little bit about Ford's folly in uh, Brazil. Oh yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So let's let's start with Ford. Let's start with Ford. Um, did, did obviously did a lot of great things, did a lot of, of kind of weird things too. Uh, talk about Henry Ford, titan of the of, of the automotive industry. Um, one weird thing that uh, Ford did was buy a huge rubber plantation. In fact, he bought a tract of land. He didn't even buy a rubber plantation. He bought a tract of land in in Brazil and tried to build a rubber plantation there. Um, and he copy-pasted essentially everything that worked in Michigan over to this remote part of Brazil. Like, if it worked there, it'll definitely work over there. Because, um, you know, that's how everything works. So you, you just, you just some things worked in one place, you can copy-paste it to another place uh, with no respect for context. And uh, 
spoiler alert it didn't work i <laughs> <laughs> gave it a good good 40 and try <laughs> yeah several and, times and, and yeah exactly tried a few times and and uh, the, the what's the kicker of the story is that not a single you know not a single drop of, of rubber produced in the in that plantation ever made it to a ford car no that's, way. That's, that's that's the kicker of that story, uh, and uh, there was a lot of money spent there. But again, what does this have to do with scaling? Well, guess what? Most people, when they try to attack the problem of scaling, they go, "Hey, what is the thing that other people are trying? Can we copy paste that in here? Can mm. we just take that thing and do it here? Or what is that thing that that our new VP did in the in the previous in the previous company they were in?" Can, can can we try that thing here? Um, and and more often than not, they 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 get to the same result that Ford got to, ah, trying to yeah trying to implement Michigan things in Brazil. Right. So the so the lesson I'm hearing there is that just installing one thing from one company to another is not guaranteed to to work. Basically, is the summary. In fact, it might have dire uh, consequences uh, potentially. All right, that makes sense. Um, so we're talking about problems with scaling. I'll just give you a personal anecdote. Um, one of the problems I see in pretty much every company we walk into is around how teams are organized and teams are structured. In fact, um, they're either organized to have, you need three or four teams to deliver some end-to-end -end piece of value, right? That's very common. Whether that's the teams are like, there's a front-end team and a back-end team and that type of structure, or they are cross-functional, but they're too small. And so they have to manage a bunch of dependencies between each other. And so a lot of the planning that people do is literally around how do we manage dependencies? And so there is like, I don't know, $100,000 spent on a planning meeting to figure out how to manage dependencies when you might not even need to do that, right? So so anyway, I was just bringing that up because it was I was thinking about it when I was reading your book and I was wanted to hear you guys' thoughts about, you, you talked about it being having everything subservient to flow. And so one of the big problems with scaling is the scaling is team, team formation, and team makeup, I would say. And what are your thoughts about that? Um, before I answer that, I, yeah. I, I'd actually like to throw that to Dan to, to talk about talk about uh, one of the first uh, flow-based teams that he worked on, or he led. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I was... Uh... I was just absolutely going to agree. I mean, I, I, just very quickly, Troy, what you're saying. I mean, if if you truly understand flow and if you truly want to live flow, then now we're into org design, org development type more more questions. Most people think it's a it's a question of uh, you know of agile practices, but it's it's much deeper than that. It is it is a, a question of how your organization is is designed. Um, and so my very, 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 very small um, experience with that was the, the, the very first very first um, Kanban team. It wasn't Kanban when we were doing it, but it became being known as Kanban. Um, it, it was a huge, it started out as, as, as one big team. We were doing an, an SAP and implementation of all things. Um, and instead of you, you could have seen how, you know, we could have easily organized around the different components of, of SAP, you know, we could have had a, an HR team and a finance team and a whatever team and a whatever team, mm -hmm. but no, we, 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 we just put everybody together as, as kind of, kind of, kind of one big team started off with about 30 to 40 people and it grew to, to over 60, um, be, because 
you know, we, we saw the exact problems that you were talking about, Troy. I mean, why, why break up, why, why, why put in those, those organizational boundaries when all you're going to do is end up managing dependencies at that point? Wow. There's, there's a couple of thoughts why you might do it. And I'm, I'm digging into the team topology concepts that came out not too long ago, limiting cognitive, cognitive load, right? So that that's one reason that's probably useful. Conway's law is a reason that's probably not useful. Well, they report up to HR, they report up to finance. So we can, let's shove Conway, uh, unless we're doing a reverse Conway, off to the side. But um, it comes back to the architecture of the thing, the cognitive load, the context switching. How do you manage that at 30 to 60 people? I, but not I bet, manage it. How do you how do yeah. you set things up for success at 30 to 60? And we did not pay Andy to ask this question. We did not. I mean, <laughs> you might see money being exchanged behind the scenes, but we yeah. didn't. Uh, Pratik, that, that's a bit of a softball one for you, I think, isn't it? Yeah. How, how, do we, how do we manage the cognitive load? The easiest way to manage cognitive load in any system is limiting WIP. The problem with large teams that people usually bring up is there is way too much, too many people to communicate to. Um, regardless of whether your team is large or small, not everyone is communicating with everyone at all the times. But what we are communicating about are work items. We're trying to figure out how to get this piece of work done. That's what we're communicating about. As long as we can keep the number of work items that are active in the system low, and we don't have to constantly context switch between different work items. That cognitive load is lowered a lot. Uh, it's it again goes back to flow. It's it, as long as we can keep the flow of value going through a system. I, I'm not saying that bigger teams are better than smaller teams. I'm saying that team size does not matter. Because what matters is are we able to flow things through the system effectively, efficiently, and predictably. And what, what I have discovered, what Dan has discovered, is many a time, larger teams actually are able to do that better than smaller teams. Not saying smaller teams will always do it worse, but larger teams are often able to do it better. And, and the key is smaller batch sizes, limited whip, yep. and finish it before starting the next thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's the problem with scaling is people think the more teams that we add, the more work that we have to start. In fact, that's usually why people spin up new teams is so they can start more work when that's that's probably the absolute worst justification for a team. Yes, and what you guys are talking about, um, man, it's like, just rings true. I, I don't know, I'm visualizing an exact problem I had to, I had to face at a, at a previous client. Um, we're measuring cycle time of Jira epics and it takes three Jira epics to deliver any actual value. So, so what's the cycle? So really it's like because of the way the teams are designed, right? Very small teams and things like that. So just it uh, seems true. All right. What you guys are talking about really is agile heresy and I won't hear it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And in fact, um, how many people can you feed 30 to 60 people with two pizzas? That's what I want to know. That's my next question. Um, I think yes, maybe, but that's the question. 
Our, yeah, our, yeah, I can, I can, if anybody wants to see it, I can bring up the board and I can, I can show you, but um, yeah. I think our, our whip was limited at the Epic level for that. Once we got up to around 60 ish people, mm -hmm. I want to say at the Epic level, our whip was five, five or five, five, or six. five, 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 five epics. epics, five epics. Yeah. But okay. what about, what about all 10 priorities? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all 10 priority ones. All 10 priority ones. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you talk a, a lot in the book about different levels of prioritization um, where it turns into waste versus value. Let's, yeah. let's tap into that for a bit. Yeah. That's, that's a, I, you know, I shouldn't say that that's my least favorite, favorite chapter in the book. But it is. I was like, <laughs> can I say it? <laughs> 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 the, 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 the reason that that chapter, it's a bit of a bait and switch, that chapter is. Because I go through, here are all the ways you can order your backlog and prioritize stuff. And then I kind of end it with, uh, uh, by the way, uh, all this is waste. You Get can rid of the backlog. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, you can. You can the, 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 but but the reason the reason it's laid out that way the reason I go about it that way is to is to is to show people that there are ways to do this that and there are proven ways that 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 work with doing this, but our world is so um, complex and so un, unpredictable that doing all this takes a lot of time. All those things that we've shown they take a lot of time, and all that time could potentially be waste. All that time that we're doing we're spending prioritizing we're not working we're not helping things get done uh, the the only prioritization that actually matters is amongst the things that are active with you which one do we focus on so we can move it forward and if you're having to make that call over and over again you're probably going to do many things dan you're biting your lip you 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 and stacy always with um i'm can't i just be thinking <laughs> <laughs> but now, that, but now that you mention it, <laughs> don't disagree. But here I go. Here's where you're wrong. Though I mean, no, the the only the only other thing I want to add in is not not only is all that work to prioritize waste, but inevitably when it comes to start something new, it has nothing to do with what that prioritized order was. It it's the latest shiniest you know new ball or whatever thing that has just come in. Your CEO's golfing buddies with somebody else, and they decided this is a good idea. And so we've spent um, you know umpteen hours prioritizing stuff, and then at the last minute somebody swoops in and says, "Oh yeah, but we're you know we're going to do this." Or I think what you were kind of, kind of pointing out earlier, Andy, you know what we've got this prioritization. Uh, you know, one, two, three, but we, like I was saying before, we end up with like 10 number ones. And it's like, it's, it's just, it's, it doesn't do anybody any good. Love it. Love What's it. The delay? Where's Jeff? Yeah. The magic formula. That was my next question, gentlemen. I actually had that written down. Um, in your book, you talk about um, different ways of prioritizing, like you just mentioned, it kind of the gist of it is it really from what I got, when I got uh, gathered out of it, is it really doesn't matter technically, um, and I, I guess in my opinion, what matters is that people are aligned as to what should go next, like in, in an organization, right? Like, because what happens is often you have competing stakeholders, competing opinions, and people are arguing over things. So if you can get people aligned, whatever technique you use about why would something potentially go next. To me, that's valuable. So why don't we talk about um, another kind of common aspect of scaling, which is the prioritization techniques, right? And so you have things like Wischief, 
which is a, a, a version of cost of delay, which is pretty popular. Uh, then you have um, prioritizing simply by size and then random selection. Uh, maybe you can give uh, a, a brief summary of those things and why or why not. Uh, yeah, so this, this is, uh, I'll have to take the train all the way around to, to get to this. Um, I, did a, I, I did a bunch of stimulations a long time ago around all these different prioritization techniques that Dan kind of inspired a bunch of the stuff for, for, for me to go and run these simulations and figure out uh, what works what what works and what doesn't. And then Dan took all those simulations and wrote an article using that uh, called Don't Be a Ditka. And then I took that article and put it in my book. There so you go. I, I, I don't know which way the causation, the arrow of causation goes. I don't, I don't know who, who gets credit for this. Or blame. Uh, or blame for this, yeah. <laughs> but through, those were some of the things we compared. We compared things like uh, if we did uh, cost of delay calculations, uh, if we did uh, um, just order things by attending order of size, or just randomly pick from the ideas that we have. Um, by the way, when we say randomly pick, we mean there are decent ideas, and we're randomly picking from decent ideas. We're not. You know, we're not putting a stock ticker on on, on a on a grocery app. It's 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 just just randomly picking from a decent set of ideas. <laughs> um, uh, when we we compared all of those, it turns out in in our world, uh, the cost of delay calculation, and we did CD three. We did not do um, Fibonacci number divided by Fibonacci number. We did yeah. not do that. Because, but that's math. That's math critique. So I just want to say that. So yes, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, we did not do that. Uh, when we did all that, I, I think cost of delay kind of came out as one of the worst ways of doing it. One of the worst ways of prioritizing. This is not to say, actually, you know what? I should let Dan talk about the rest of it because he has the book right there. So he can open it up and answer questions from Don Ryerson's book if he needs to. Why, why, why am I saying Dan that cost of delay was not necessarily the best way? CD three, CD three, CD three wasn't the best. Yeah. Uh, the, well, so okay, um, we, and and now I have to be even clearer because we are recording here, right? This is going to get out. Um, our first run of the simulation actually it proved CD three was the best, but if you knew two things. If you actually knew the cost of delay and you actually knew the duration, which hopefully everybody on this call knows, you don't know those things. You think you do, but you don't. Both of those things are random variables. Um, and so once you once you take once you take the random variable aspect of it, uh, you know, it turns out your guesses of what what cost of delay is and what duration is, you know, can 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 vary wildly, which that's what makes. CD3 suboptimal. If you know those, if you know those two pieces of information and you know them, like for example, I don't know, uh, like a government regulation where you know you're going to get a, a million dollar fine if you don't have this thing on by this date. Okay, we can calculate CD3 at that point and, and mm -hmm. we know. Right. And if you have that information, that that is the way to go. We proved Don Reinertsen, everything that Don Reinertsen says is right. If you don't know those things, CD3 is kind of the worst. Um, it is among the worst. Uh, one other thing, if I can just be very, very quick. Most people, it's funny, most people, their only interaction with weighted shortage job first is through safe. Right. And I think what most people don't understand, weighted shortage job first is it's a generic algorithm. It's a it's, it's a generic a scheduling algorithm 
And most people think the way to shortest job first means what safe's definition is. And it's funny to hear Don Reinison. I love hearing Don Reinison talk about it. I don't know if any of you have seen the video clips of him talking about this. And he's like, he's like, he's like, I know what cost of delay is. I know what way to shortest job first. Safe's out there talking about, I don't know what that stuff is, right? They they call it way to shortest job first, but it ain't that, right? It's so just just to be clear, you know, it just drives me nuts when agile frameworks pull these names in and then re- redefine them just kind of randomly, like pretty much randomly, arbitrarily, arbitrarily. Arbitrary. Um, and uh, and then they just end up confusing everybody, including themselves. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, it reminded me a little bit of the um, flow velocity metric that I was, I've was i been recently dealing with, um, which is the safe version of the flow metrics that they have, you know, so similar cons- construct, I would say it's a yeah, changing flow, things a bit. Flow, flow, flow load, anybody? Flow load. That's my favorite one. Yeah. I, yeah, I actually use that a lot. Yeah. That term. <laughs> doesn't, I always say this. Doesn't that sound like a plumbing problem? That's yes, like, I, it I, does. I, I would never say that in polite company. I would never, ever say flow load. I got it. I have a deck in a PowerPoint deck. Literally I read today. And that word is on there. And I just, I just literally smile every time I see it. That word makes me laugh. <laughs> anyway. Well, here's okay. the dilemma. Yeah. At, yes. at, at scale, at sizable scale, you've got quite a few stakeholders, customers, upstream, downstream, that want to know the answer to um, the common question, which sounds like a book title. I think it's one of yours. <laughs> like, when will my thing be done? Hmm. I, I've got marketing and sales, and I've got my stuff to do. It was an idea. You accepted it. When will it F and be done? Mm-hmm. So if you can't prioritize and you can't predict, what do you do? The only chance we have of answering the question of when will it be done is if we are running a stable system. That's the only way we can ever have a chance of answering. And running a stable system requires, in my opinion, at least two forms of stability. One is the form of stability as uh, as perpetuated by Dr. Little, which is your 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 following all the little law assumptions. The other is, and for this you should read Dan's book, uh, Dan's new book, the the form of stability as promoted by Schubert, uh, which is that it does not have any any. Uh, exceptional problems. Once we have a system that works like that, that's stable enough, now what we can say is, oh, if I pick something up, I can reliably tell you when it will be done. But just as you said, Andy, because there are so many people fighting about what you pick up, anything that's not picked up, I don't care what we employ. I don't care what kind of prioritization method we employ. I don't care what magic we employ. We almost will never be able to say when something uh, that we haven't picked up will be done because there's always a probability of something coming in and not be doing it. I, I, I love it. Sounds great. <laughs> so I wanted to, I wanted to follow up uh, with that uh, critique. So in your book, you talk about um, Kanban as the key. I mean, I don't know if you phrase it this way, but basically I was reading it this way. Kanban as defined in the Kanban guide as the key to scaling, like is the key to implementing the fundamentals to scaling, right? When it comes to defining and visualizing your workflows, managing your work in progress and improving uh, using the flow metrics, right? So why is Kanban 
a fundamental key to scaling this in this manner? Um, I, I have I have two reasons for saying it. One, which I just already mentioned, uh, if, if if you're doing this stuff right, you're probably going to end up most likely going to end up running a stable system. Yeah. If you're doing all the things that are in the camera guide, you're you're going to be able to run a stable system which then will help you answer the question that Andy was asking, which is when will it be done? It will actually make you predictable. Um, the, the great thing about both the Kanban guide and uh, at least our, our applied professional Kanban class is not uh, nowhere do we say that this is for a team working on story or this is for low level items. That entire thing can be applied anywhere. It is so, uh, it, it is so flexible that we can apply it anywhere. And it's so context specific that when you apply it, it takes the form of that context and can, can be used to, 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 to work that context. Um, that's why, that's why I, I gravitate towards it. That's why I believe we can just pick that up and apply the exact same concepts uh, that we have been successful applying with teams uh, at higher levels. So Pratik's going to take a break. We'll, we'll hang out with Dan for, for, for a few minutes till uh, Pratik gets back. All right, Dan, um, do you want to follow up? On what, what do you really think about Pratik? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you really think about the book? All the things that are wrong. Do you want to follow uh, up on that last question I had about Kanban being kind of the secret sauce to scaling? Uh, well, no, I, but I, I did. I uh, no. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. no, I, totally, I totally agree. I don't know what else. I don't know. What's sure, sure, sure. I did. I did kind of want to get back to what what Andy was saying, you know, earlier about about the when will it be done. Um, and I do want to acknowledge, I'm not sure if Pratik acknowledged it, but um, we, uh, first and foremost, absolutely agree that that's a, not only is that a, a fundamental question, it's a legitimate question. Hmm. Our customers get to ask that question. They get to ask when will it be, especially if they're the ones that are paying for it, they get to ask when will it be done? Right. Now, whether it's fair or not, that's a different question. Uh, that's, that's a different question. Whether we can answer it or not, that's a different question, but it is an absolutely reasonable thing for 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 them to request and so i i think it, I, I think it puts a, a responsibility on us to do whatever we can to be able to answer that one of my one of my favorite analogies um that i i love to use i don't um i don't have kids but i've been to disneyland or disney world i don't know what's the one in florida i i can never remember disney world world disney world yeah i don't know how anybody remembers that <laughs> but um you know if, if you're ever if you're ever in the queue at disney world at certain for 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 um for rides at certain points along the queue they'll have like you know hey 10 minutes from this point five minutes from this point whatever and they could and, and those those are actually reasonably accurate you know right. if you I, I actually measured it once um you know when, when i was there and i was like hey wow you know they do it pretty good the thing is you have to think about everything that goes into them being able able to do that when you know when you're first sitting there you know at home thinking about hey are we going to take the family to disney world or not Disney World can't tell you how long it's going to take for you to get on this ride. When you buy the tickets, they can't tell you how long it's going to. When you're pulling up in the parking lot, they can't tell you. When you walk through the gates, they, not until you actually join the queue and get to this point can they tell you. And that's that's mm. essentially what Pratik is, is, is talking about. Right. We have to bring in some notion of system boundaries and system stability. And if we can frame the problem that way, okay, now we got a shot at being able to answer when will it be done. But just because some random person had some some idea this morning, you know, they, you know, the maybe the eggs and bacon they had for breakfast didn't sit well with them. And they're like, hey, I think we should do this crazy thing. 
I have, you know, I have no idea. Your guess is as good as mine. You know, until we actually get it in the process and it gets to this point, would I even ever have a chance of being able to answer that question for you? Mm, that's a great answer. And Andy, any questions or follow-up about that one? Well, I love it. And and the boundary of certainty, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're in the queue, not in the parking lot, not at the ticket stand. <laughs> right. right. Because it's it's fluid, probably, until yeah. you get into the line where it's now a decent amount of stability because they know how long the ride takes, how long it takes to load and unload. They're um, using a specific queuing discipline, right? I mean, all, all of this stuff play, plays into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes. Um, and that's, I don't know if that resonates with my customers or not, but that's kind of how I try to try to um, explain it to them. But that's yeah. just, I mean, that's just how our world works. I think one of the challenges we face with that one is, regardless of if we can answer it or not, People, they always get an answer. Like somebody will give them a date or something. <laughs> Whether it's just totally made up, they put it on a PowerPoint slide and they will say, it's going to happen two and a half years from now. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's usually the way. Yeah. <laughs> so that, um, with, yeah. with, very little, with very little fanfare, Dr. Sam Savage uh, released his latest book earlier this year. Okay. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's called Chanceification. Okay. And it's 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 essentially flaw of averages part two. Um, so um, Dr. Sam Savage has gotten together with um, with Hubbard. You know they've been doing a lot of stuff on the side. They, they've they've started this whole um, uh, project or a probabilistic management organization or something something. I anyway whatever it is, go look it up. But my favorite part of chanceification in there, um, Dr. Savage gives a, a a brilliant way of answering the question: When will it be done? He's like, whenever anybody asks me when will it be done. I I flip it on them and he says, tell me what date you want and I will tell you your chances of getting that date. Mm. And I just think that's just a brilliant way of deflecting, you know, and 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 kind of redirecting. It's like, you know, customer, you probably have a date in mind. Okay, what's January 1st? Okay, January 1st is your date. All right. Well, I can probably tell you your chances of being able to hit January 1st. And if you don't like those chances, all right, let's talk about how we can how we can modify the system to be able to affect those chances. Well, that's a good, yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. I'll have to read that book. I, I, I read the full averages, but I haven't read his new book. So thank you. I'll put yeah, that up. It's not, yeah. I, I would just full disclosure. I don't think it's as good as flaw of averages, but I mean, there, there is a lot of good stuff in there. Okay, cool. Um, Andy, I have a list, but do you have any other questions that you wrote down? Uh, uh, Dan, getting started, the evolution revolution approach, right? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Kanban is is simple conceptually but mm -hmm. not easy for many reasons we've talked about yeah so patterns for getting started and also things to look out for um, yeah. and anti-patterns warning signals smoke detectors whatever you want to call them yeah i used to um i used to be because because it was the hammer that i had i used to just always preach you know control whip control whip control whip in terms of just getting started with this stuff mm. it turns out telling teams to control whip is maybe one of the worst things you can do to them because if you've never ever controlled whip before me coming in and telling you hey tomorrow starting tomorrow we're going to control whip that's that's almost an impossible ask. Are you going to jump in? You want to it's say? funny you should say that because I had a conversation just this past, this week, no, last Friday, um, where it's like, it's obvious there's too much whip. And the developers said, basically, yeah, yeah well, don't yeah. talk to us about whip. Yeah. So, so what's the alternative? Because that was my favorite hammer. 
Yeah, I know. It was mine too. And and I ended up getting beaten with my own hammer. That's why that's why I stopped <laughs> I, I I stopped doing it. Um our so our our go-to weapon of choice now, not that it's really a weapon, shouldn't say it that way. Um <laughs> is uh is is aging, pay, paying attention to aging. Um mm-hmm. there most most teams have never heard of flow metrics and it, even if they have heard of flow metrics, they probably haven't heard of aging. And so for me, one of the most powerful ways, tools that we can get teams to think about the consequences of their actions is just, just to look at aging. Um, and Pratik and I say this all the time, all the time. If you get aging right, then you can pretty much derive all of the other flow principles just from an understanding of, of aging. Like um, our, our usual our usual next step is the, the two best ways to prevent an item from aging are finish it. Or don't start it. Mm. Those are the two best ways to prevent an item from aging. If you if you're focusing on finishing and you're focusing on not, not starting, guess what? You've just limited work in progress. You've just controlled whip. Absolutely. And then, yeah. And then and then and then you can just you can just go from there. And if they bring up aging, and let's say they're doing Scrum, and there's something on their aging chart that's you know, 360 days old, it's like. Y'all are doing 14 day sprints on this <laughs> item that is 300 days old. Right. Maybe we should have a conversation about what's going on here, right? You know, and and you know, for me, I don't know. It just it, it just it's so much more um, enlightening, engaging than me coming in and just punching them in the face and saying control whip, control whip. Because mm. it just doesn't work. But then, and critique that item, even though it might be 100, uh, 300 days old. Our velocity has been pretty stable, you know. So exactly, it's, uh, exactly. It's, no big deal. it's In fact, it's been going yeah. up every every estimation. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at that magically. It's gone up. And and, and when and this one is done, when this one is done, then you'll be through the roof. Well, and that gets back. Well, and that gets back to the prioritization conversation. It was one of my favorite stories of the company that the Pratik and I used to work at. You know, this team would spend all this effort working on on prioritization and we'd go to their their stand up and they pulled in item number 13 they're working on item number 13 why mm-hmm. are they working on item number 13 well it was either they thought it was the easiest one or the that person had the right skill set or it was a rainy thursday in lent who knows why they pulled it in but they spent all that time on prioritization and then promptly ignored it <laughs> all right um i had a question for both of you so we talk a lot about predictability, um, and Pratik, you mentioned um, the little small assumption. If there's an episode that Andy and I recorded called um, "We're All Wrong About Little Saw," uh, and in that we do a deep dive into the assumptions and things like that. So I'll I'll link that in the show notes. And also, there's a wonderful drunk agile episode about the little small assumption. So I'll link that as well. Um, so um, the question I have though is, from a scaling perspective, and from your Customers and or leadership in an organization who cares most about stuff at the scaled level in a large organization, oftentimes they don't care about an individual user story. Most of the time. What does predictability actually mean in, from that perspective? Don't I, so I don't think the definition of predictability changes mm-hmm. based on the level you are looking at. Okay. But I think the impact of predictability changes. Yeah. Um, especially when you get to the level where, and, and this is something I, I have started speaking from Dan of late, especially, especially when you get to the level where people writing the check uh, care about that. Level. That's where the impact of predictability changes. 
because a team level, hey, great, yeah, we're very predictable. We can we can show the people that we're a great team. We're, we're, we're a predictable team. But at that level, now, uh, now the question is, we are investing money into something. Uh, can we actually find out predictably when we are going to start seeing some money come back from us? When mm. are we start going to start seeing return on this investment? That, I think, is, even though the definition of predictability is not different, but the impact of predictability at that level, I think, is completely different. Just in case anyone's wondering, I don't know if we've ever given a blanket definition of predictability, huh. but... My my one sentence definition of predictability is that our, our system behaves the way that we expect it to. Mm -hmm. um, now, there's a probabilistic, as we all know, there's a probabilistic element to that. But like, if we say if we say 85% of our items get done in eight days or less, then 85% of our items get done in eight days or less. Just like that Disney example. If you get if, once you get to this part in our process, 85% of the time stuff is getting through our process in the, in this time frame. That's to me. That's that's predictable. It's not. It's not that I can say with one hundred percent certainty, Troy. Hey, that thing you asked for, it's going to be done in seven point two days. You know, Andy, that thing you asked for, that's going to be done in nine point eight days. That's not predictability. It's you know, um, just in general, does our overall system behave the way that we expect it to? And when you say that, it makes me think of um, in your most recent book, Dan. Now going back to your book, <laughs> uh, and you know a lot of this language I believe comes from Shuret actually, but um, the voice of the customer versus the voice of the process and misalignment, right? right. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about that in the last episode, but I think it's really applicable at scale. And and so maybe you guys can instead of me saying it, maybe you guys can talk about what that means. Yeah, yeah. Since we're talking about scale, Pratik, why don't you yeah. talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do. I do want to just just clarify one thing that Dan said there. Okay. The process that behaves the way we expect it to, not the way we want it to, but the way we expect it to. Okay. That, that, <laughs> that, that is a big difference, especially at scale, because we might want it to get things done in three days or less, but <laughs> based right. on how this process behaves, we expect it to get done in three days or less. Um, what was the question? The question was the question was about <laughs> predictability from your customer's perspective. Yes. Right? Uh, well, well, yes. Yeah, yeah, voice I, of the customer versus voice of the process, misalignment, et cetera. Yeah, I, I like to say that there, there, for, for all organizations, for all teams, there's only one maturity model, which mm. is how far off is the voice of your process from the voice of your customer. Ah, okay. And, and, and yeah. all, all other maturity models are just ways for people to sell stuff. Uh, that that is that is the only maturity yeah. model. Does your process uh, does your process behave in terms of uh, how long it takes it to get stuff done? In terms of quality, uh, in terms of customer satisfaction, the way your customers expect it to behave. Um, yeah. If your customer is expecting things in fifteen to twenty days, and uh, you're producing it in in forty days. They might go to some other some other person who doesn't fifteen twenty days. Can can those two things be close to each other? Yes. Thank you for that totally hypo hypothetical example there, Pratik. Right, it has nothing to do with any real world team that we've worked with. Not at all. <laughs> but there's another and, element I, I think, and you touch on it I, somewhere in the book, and um, it's about did we build the right thing? Yeah. We we've met so many teams like yes, we're predictable. We can ship shit every two weeks. Yeah. Well, what's your C stat? I don't know. We don't bother to measure it, but we are shipping on schedule, right? So that that feedback loop, that that predictability, it's done, should include mm -hmm. we hit the mark or we were really wrong. And thank goodness we learned we were really long only 
a million dollars in instead of ten. Yeah, yeah. This is this is. So I, often I, we miss that. I, I don't know if Dan has mentioned Deming yet. If he hasn't, I, I get the point this time for mentioning Deming first. Uh, this is this is for me. This is Deming's definition of quality. A lot of people in the quality realm talk about Deming as, as hey, does this thing meet specs and all that? That's not, I, I don't believe that's what Deming means by quality. When Deming talks about quality, he means all these things. He means are we building the right thing to the to to the to the customer satisfaction to to the right uh, to the right uh, expectations of the customer and 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 delivering the right kind of value. Um, that absolutely, we can be Andy to your point. We can be as predictable as we want, but if we're not satisfying our customers, it just just doesn't doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Um, Sorry, just one, one if I can. Um, most people think if we tie this back to Kanban, most people, most if we're doing, especially if you're doing software, um, most software developers think that um, done on your Kanban board means it's in production, and um, you'll you will hear Pratik jump up and down and start throwing things or whatever. You know, he's a big believer, Andy, that your your final column and your or and potentially not even your final column, but not not is it in production, but have we validated that the customer is using it? Have we validated that the customer actually likes it? And have we learned from the customer about what they liked and what they didn't like so that it can inform the next thing that we're working on? That's done. It's not that it's just in production, right? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it, guys. Well, gentlemen, anything anything else that you'd like to plug? Where can people find you? Floor is yours. Well, yeah, we, we mentioned ProCombine.org. That's that's yeah. the first and best place. Um, and then uh, our Drunk Agile. Uh, if, if anybody's not familiar, we run a, yeah. a Drunk Agile podcast, which we're woefully overdue for another episode, critique, um yeah. that we needed. Because we keep doing stuff for Troy and Andy, you know. Cobbler's kids have no shoes, right? Yeah. Living in your whip. Yeah. Um, so uh, so th those are the two best places, ProCombine pro, pro and Drunk Agile. Come check us out. There. Thank you guys. And you guys are um, in the middle of a book tour and it can be virtual. So we talked about for the listeners, if you're still listening to this, by the way, thank, thank you. you. Uh, and by the way, uh, also what's wrong with you? No, I'm just kidding. No, but thank you. Uh, so if you're still listening to this, uh, we are hopefully planning soon at some point soon, uh, a virtual book tour for these guys for their two books, um, where there'll be an hour Q and a, and we'll, we'll do a live stream and you can come in in the chat and ask them any questions about their books. And we can have like a hangouts with these guys. So if that is of interest to you, uh, we'll, we'll let you know in the community when that's going to be and give you all the details. Okay. Yeah, join our yeah. Discord server. Yeah, it's free. Uh, look, it's yeah. free. It's uh, not overwhelming. There's a, a nice level of signal to noise. Uh, see the show notes for details. <laughs> what else? Um, that's it. If you're that's it. Bit, if you're not subscribed, subscribe. Get the next one, and uh, we'll see you along the trail. Manage your whip. I mean. Watch your work item aging. Sorry. <laughs> <All right. laughs> the power drill from the hammer. 